Good to see you. I'm not great with technology, so it'd be interesting to see what happens when I start pressing this thing. As you know, we're in a sort of mini-series um, that's been um, entitled Incomparable. Um, last week, Susan was here and she spoke under that title and she had a subtitle which was The Beginning. Uh, and I've got a subtitle this morning which is God the Creator. God the Creator. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to come into your presence, to join with one another in fellowship, but most of all, to join in fellowship with you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing. And Lord, we pray that the words that we say uh, and what we hear this morning maybe uh, bring glory to you and a blessing to us. For we ask it in our Saviour's name. Amen. So we're going to read a small passage from Revelation. And then I'm going to pick out one particular verse from there. So Revelation uh, chapter 4. And uh, it's verse 6 onwards. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's quite an interesting passage. I don't know about you, but uh, Revelation is not a book that uh, I read very often because it's full of images. And some of those images are quite difficult to, uh, to understand. Um, but this particular section seems to me to be quite clear, quite, quite straightforward. So let's uh, listen to what God says through his word. Verse 6 onwards. Before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him, who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. We're going to look, as I, I said a moment ago, at, um, if I can find where I can put my Bible, we're going to look at, uh, in particular, that, uh, that verse, verse 11 of chapter 4. You are worthy. Let's see if I can put it, oh yeah, it's up on the screen. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and had their being. 
You might like to follow in your own Bibles, but uh, certainly the various verses that I'll be looking at will be coming up on the screen. You know, the opening of the book of Revelation is very noteworthy in that John, uh, the writer, makes the clear claim that though he may have actually written the book, the real author is none other than Jesus Christ himself. So he writes at the beginning of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that he is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on straight away to say to his readers, and the readers were uh, the seven churches in Asia Minor, but also uh, subsequent uh, readers like, uh, like you and me, when he writes, I think I can put it on, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Very, very powerful words those, aren't they? Especially that last phrase, the time is near. A clear reference to the last days, the apocalypse, one of the remaining prophecies yet to, be, yet to be fulfilled. I remember an elder at the church that I attended uh, as a teenager saying that he fully expected the Lord to return in his lifetime. That was probably more than 60 years ago. And that man has now moved on, passed into the presence of his Lord in, in glory. But you know, whilst we may be waiting for the fulfilment of that prophecy, don't let's ignore it. Don't let's ignore it. Holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. As Paul wrote uh, to his friends in Thessalonica, it's in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through to 5, I'll, I'll paraphrase what he wrote. We won't know the time, but be alert, for our Lord's return is certain and will come like a thief in the night when people least expect it. But you know, what we can say is that our Lord's return is nearer now than when Paul first penned those words and nearer than when that church leader that I mentioned and made his comments of course, we know that the whole of the Bible is the, is the word of God. But the clear reference that John makes at the beginning of the book of Revelation to the direct authorship of Jesus is really quite unique. And it seems to me that that gives a certain force uh, to what he's saying in verse 11 of chapter 4. Let me read it to you again. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have, they, have their being. I wonder if you notice, um, it just occurred to me as I was preparing for this morning how similar that is to our church text uh, for 2023. Great is the Lord, he is worthy of praise, no one can measure his greatness, no one and measure his greatness. You know, you can't separate the creator God 
our Heavenly Father, from the redemptive God, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as Paul put it uh, in that powerful and amazing words that he wrote to the church in Colossae, uh, chapter 1 of Colossians, I think I can turn it on. Yeah. He, that is Jesus, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, of the church. And it goes on. The incomparable creator. The incomparable Christ. As we sang a moment ago, who paints the skies into glorious day? Only the splendor of Jesus. Who breathes his life into fists of clay? Only the splendor of Jesus. Who shapes the valleys and brings the rain? Only the splendor of Jesus. Who makes the desert to live again? Only the splendor of Jesus. You know, such truths can only, well, should only, evoke from us worship and devotion towards Almighty God. But focusing our thoughts in particular on that verse 11 of chapter 4, addressing Almighty God, John, in, in, in total genuine and sincere submission and humility, acknowledges that he alone, he alone is worthy of glory, honour and power. And why? And why? Well, because he created all things. The world that we live in, he created it all. And by him they were created and have their being. You know, let's not forget the unity uh, of God the Father with God the Son. As John reminded us uh, at the start of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, uh, and he was with God at the beginning. Susan uh, emphasised that last week, didn't she? In chapter 5, uh, and verse 12 of Revelation, there's a sort of reprise of this statement in chapter 4, but with an in, in dash, in, addi excuse me, additional introductory phrase. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain Someone who was killed, killed ignominiously, reviled, numbered with the dregs of society. But he suffered so for us, for you and for me personally. Listen to those familiar words again uh, from Isaiah the prophet. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Of course, John's uh, readers would recognise the reference to a lamb who was slain in that verse uh, 12 of chapter 5 of Revelation. In the Old Testament Levitical laws, 
no one could even consider approaching God without the shedding of blood. As the writer of the book of Hebrews puts it, chapter 9 of Hebrews sets it out in great detail. Under the old covenant, the high priest would go into the inner holy of holies of the tabernacle or, or the temple with the blood of sacrifice of a lamb without blemish, a perfect animal. So the writer of Hebrews says this, he, and then he's talking about Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Having obtained eternal redemption. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that absolutely wonderful? Truly awesome. You know, there's no need for any other act of atonement. Jesus has accomplished it all, all perfectly uh, for us. We come to our Lord through the sacrificial act of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. As that famous verse, John 3:16 puts it, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You know, I know they're familiar words, but it seems to me we should carry them with us in our hearts uh, in every part of our lives. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Eugene Peterson puts that passage in Isaiah like this in his Message Bible, in his particularly uh, racy style that he's got in the Message Bible. Words that actually brought me up with a start when I, when I read them. And I quote, There is nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered a new pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him and thought he was scum. You know, we might raise our eyebrows at that last phrase. We thought he was scum. And I must say, I had a sharp intake of breath when I actually read that. We thought he was scum, but whatever. Jesus went through all that pain and all that suffering, all that rejection, physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, for you and for me, for the whole of mankind. Surely that should have us all joining with John and saying, you are indeed worthy to receive glory and honour and power. Our incomparable God, our incomparable Saviour, our incomparable Lord. Perhaps we could have a few moments of quiet as each one of us offers individually our own thanks and worship to God and to our Saviour. Verse 11 goes on to say that God and in him, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the incomparable creator, created all things by your will and they were created and have their being. You know, there used to be an idea, and I suspect you've heard it, that God somehow caused creation to happen, wound it up like a clock and then left it to run uh, to, uh, to its own devices in due course to, to fail when the, uh, the spring begins to 
are run down. Well, I suppose in some respects there is, uh, in the world as we know it, is destined to run down. I wonder if you've ever uh, heard about the law of entropy. That describes how all things decline and decay. Dr. John Samford, the one-time professor of Cornell University in America, wrote a very interesting book. He's a Christian, uh, a devout Christian, and he entitled the book Genetic Entropy. He tackled the fact of progressive decay from a Christian perspective, from a Christian perspective. Following the publication of the book, he wrote this. One of my reviewers told me that the message of the book is both terrifying and depressing. Uh, the reviewer wrote that perhaps Sanford, that is, is a little like a sadistic steward on board the Titanic, gleefully spreading the news that the ship is sinking. Sanford uh, responded to that, and I'm going to quote in full what he said. I hate the consequences of entropy, degeneration. I hate to see it in my own body, in the failing health of loved ones, or in the deformity of a newborn baby. I find it all absolutely ghastly, but also absolutely undeniable. Surely a real steward on the Titanic would have a responsibility to let people know that the ship is sinking, even if some people might hate him for it. I feel I'm in that position. Responsible people should be grateful to know the bad news so they can constructively respond to it. If we've been putting all our hope in a sinking ship, would it not be expedient to recognise this and abandon the false hope? It is only in this light that we can appreciate bad news. Only in the light of the bad news can we really appreciate the good news that there is a lifeboat. And Sanford goes on to say this, even as we cannot create life, we cannot defeat death. Yet I assert there is one who did create life and who designed the genome. I do not know how he did it, but somehow he surely made the hardware and he surely must have written the original software. He is called the author of life. He is called the author of life. I believe the author of life has the power to defeat death and degeneration. I believe this is the good news. This is the good news. The incomparable God, the creator. You know, and perhaps there is a, a nod to the, the sustaining power of God and in him his son Jesus. When the verse 11 goes on to say, he created all things and by your will they were created and have their being, and have their being. You know, I love the way the psalmist, uh, David, gives voice to this in Psalm 19. When he says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the world, to the ends of the world. You may have heard of uh, the uh, scientist Dr. Francis Collins. He headed up a, a radical and really quite amazing and remarkable human genome project, uh, project in the USA. 
the study of DNA. Numerous scientists were involved in it from around the world, including many from the UK. He wrote a book and he entitled it The Language of God. The Language of God to Collins, who has a deep, a deep Christian faith. There's no conflict between science and faith, between his research and Almighty God. To him, the heavens do indeed declare the glory of God. All creation speaks the language of God. With that truth in mind, it follows, doesn't it, seamlessly, that John could say, you are worthy, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And more so, and more so, because worthy is the Lamb who was slain, slain, slain for us, for each one of us, each one of you here this morning. As Paul so eminently, if not bluntly put it, he who knew no sin was made sin, was made sin for us. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. The last uh, few weeks, or last month or so, I suppose, we've been celebrating the start of another, another new year, aren't we? Haven't we? Uh, we don't know what's in store for us, nationally, internationally, financially, socially, medically, uh, personally. You know, life can seem very uncertain, can't it? Even, even unstable. But you know, one thing we can be sure of, one person we can be sure of, is our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Let me, let me ask you a question. It's a question for me, as it is for uh, uh, all of you here. How much, how much is our own confidence in that future anchored, anchored in Almighty God, anchored in Almighty God and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? How real is his spirit in our lives, in my life? But you know, the confidence I have is not in my own ability to cling on to my Lord, but the sure knowledge that having given my life to him, which happened years ago when I was quite young, is the knowledge that he holds on to me. He holds on to me. As Charles Spurgeon once said, it's not your hold of Christ that saves you, but his hold of you. His hold of you. And that message of salvation, you know, is a uh, salvation in Christ is a message, a crucial message, a crucial message that each one of us needs to proclaim to our friends when the right opportunity presents itself. Just occurred to me, uh, we had, uh, this is not in my notes incidentally, we had uh, a couple of neighbours come round to our, uh, to our house uh, yesterday afternoon um, to eat uh, jam and cream scones, would you believe? And uh, um, we had a good time chatting and, and laughing and everything. And one of them, one of the lady, ladies, um, said um, 
She said, well, I'm not particularly religious. What an opportunity. And I didn't take it. Jean didn't take it. We didn't take it. Perhaps it wasn't the right moment to, to say anything and become pretty heavy. But you know, we need to let people know about the, uh, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if they don't know, they're going to the opposite place that we're going to. I read a story the other day uh, that the golfer and golfing commentator Peter Alice, he died a couple of years ago, I believe, of the BBC, told. And it concerned the, the famous American golfer, Jack Nicklaus. Nicklaus was taking, talking to some young professional golfers who were just starting out on their, on their professional careers. He spoke of, their, of the need for concentration, especially uh, on the greens when, when they're putting. The need to take into account the weather conditions, and in particular any wind that may be blowing. And how the crowds of spectators that used to follow Jack Nicklaus round would help to shield the wind. One of the young professionals um, asked Jack what to do if there were no spectators watching. And after a pause, uh, Jack replied, You know, I don't really know. I've never had no spectators watching. As Christians, as followers of our Lord and Saviour, we have spectators watching us. And those spectators need to see in us people who give glory and honour to our Creator God. God who in Christ was slain for us at Calvary. And I'm bound to ask, if you were if, are you still a spectator? Are you still a spectator? You know, don't delay anymore in coming to our Lord uh, in faith and commitment. And even those of us that perhaps are, are Christians, perhaps have been for some time, you know, how we can fall back to being spectators. I'll take up Paul's words again, and the words of my elderly church friend when I was a young man. Our Lord's return may well come sooner than we might think. You may have heard of the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith. It was drawn up, drawn up by a number of Bible scholars and theologians back in the 17th century. It lists a whole number of principles that should be uh, the mark of every Christian believer. And they're set out in uh, a series of questions and answers. The very first principle says this. What is the chief and highest end of man? With the answer, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. You know, I love those sentiments. I love those sentiments, although I confess how far I fall from such a, such a benchmark. Glorifying God through our worship. Glorifying God through our submission and commitment to him. And as a result enjoying an intimate and close relationship with our Heavenly Father. A spectator, a spectator no more. Our incomparable God. I wonder if that verse 11 in Revelation 4 was in the minds of those scholars when they drew up that confession of faith. You are worthy, 
our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you for how so often it cuts through to the heart. And dear Lord, we pray that you will help each one of us as we go from this building to take with us uh, the fact that you are indeed our saviour. Uh, and help us, Lord, to spread the good news uh, to our friends and our neighbours and our, and our families. Uh, Lord, we just thank you and praise you for all that you are to us. Amen.